This is The Difference, a podcast for nonprofit fundraising in a for-profit world, presented by Convergent Nonprofit Solutions, a leader in nonprofit fundraising. Convergence professionals can help your nonprofit secure sustainable funding now and for the future. Welcome to The Difference. I'm Jay Worth, your host. Beth Napleton is our guest. She's that person executive leaders turn to when they need next-level support in their mission-driven organization. That could be a school or a nonprofit, of course. Beth understands the challenges leaders face on a regular basis as they strive to uncover challenges, lead with empathy, and create successful teams. She's experienced personally the demands of how to be an effective leader while being in the weeds of daily tasks, and isn't that true for just about everyone? As a former core member of Teach for America, she's the founder of a Chicago-based charter school network and an executive coach. Beth has launched many organizational leaders from times of chaos and confusion to calm and clarity, and that is a wonderful alliterative phrase. She truly knows what it takes to be an effective executive leader. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Jay. Well, let's just get started with the challenges uh, and a big overall question. What are the most pressing challenges that you think nonprofit leaders commonly face in today's environment? Yeah, I mean, there's so many, right? And I think about the challenges that people face um, internally and then externally. And, and it even you could take internally in a few ways. And so I think externally, right, like as we record this, right, there's a war in Gaza, there's a war in Ukraine, right? The economy is tricky. And I think that there are often so many macro issues that can impact your stakeholders and constituents and can feel so hard to wrap your head around. And then I find that there's two layers of internal challenges. And so one is that, you know, sometimes the you know, it's it's always related to the humans in the organization, right? You know, the humans aren't using the system, need this, do this, said they do one thing and do another. And so a lot of times when people say, what do you help with? I say, well, I help with the adult problems that get in the way of you reaching, you know, your mission. And, and you know, people say, you know, no one's ever said, what do you mean? Especially um, there's just so much to that element of, you know, it's hard to get everybody rallied around a common vision, working on the same page, feeling like they're growing in a way that feels exciting and not overwhelming, right? It's it's a fine line to balance. And to do this with a team or to manage through layers is a lot. And then I think often there's a layer where leaders have some internal struggle, right? And I often will be a place as like in my coaching work in particular, where people will help work this out. What do I feel about this? Should we have this? I would like to be able to have unlimited vacation, but I'm concerned about the impact this might have. And I'm feeling really conflicted. If you're feeling conflicted about something, your staff can sense that they know this, it's confusing to them. And so I think there's so many layers and it can be different for my clients right now who are working in schools, who are working a couple of years out of COVID where they're still dealing with a lot of the social emotional issues and the academic learning loss issues. I work with a lot of leaders in the Jewish philanthropic space and they're struggling with the war in Israel and Gaza. And what does this mean for the future of their organizations and their fundraising? And so I think the particulars can be, you know, depend on your community and your context, but there always are things going on in all those three layers. It sounds very complicated. So let us know about your background in a little more detail Why are you well-equipped to provide counsel to these challenges that you've just enumerated? So I think that, you know, I sometimes joke that my leadership experience started when I was born the oldest of eight children. (laughs) It's kind of a forced position. I didn't get to volunteer for it. And it turns out I don't get to quit it either. I'm still the big sister after all these years. Over the last 20 years, I have 
founded a charter school network. I have been a dean of instruction. I ran the Institute Teach for America. I've basically been in leadership roles since I went into the workforce at varying levels, of course, and over time. When I was thinking a few years ago, I started my school in 2013. We opened our uh, doors to fourth and fifth grade students, and they ended up, those students are now juniors in college, which is hard to believe, 100% accepted to four-year colleges. I was thinking, well, what's next in my life and what do I do? And I needed more flexibility in my life because I was a single mom of three kids. Um, But I also really wanted to make a difference. And I thought about the number of times in my own leadership journey where I was really stuck um, and I just could not break through. And it took, I had some wonderful coaches and consultants who I was able to work with who helped me get unstuck and kind of get me to the next level. And so I sometimes think about leadership is a never ending staircase. And a lot of times we can climb the stairs, no problem by ourselves. The situation's great. We have the right tools. We can even take the stairs two at a time, but sooner or later, there comes a time where you just can't get to that next step. You know, the tools that have brought you here will not get you forward. And so that's where I find, you know, that's where I can come in useful to give people a hand and help them get unstuck so that they can continue to serve their communities, continue to serve in leadership. And I really understand it because I've been there. Stephen Covey talks about sharpening the saw, and you mm-hmm. mentioned about uh, tools. Is that best done through reading and studying or having a, a relationship with a, a peer or someone like yourself, a consultant who can see the big picture and give that counsel? I think it depends a little bit. I mean, I will say, I think that especially in the nonprofit world, where we're sometimes so focused on resources, it can be, I'll just read an article, I'll read this book, I'll order this. And then, you know, people will describe, and I know because I live this, like the stack of books gets bigger and bigger. (laughs) You only add to it, you're never taking away because you don't have an excess of time typically if you're leading a nonprofit. And so I think that often folks benefit from coaching or consulting, depending on what they need. Do they need the listening ear of a coach and the perspective? Do they need someone to like do some of the work, right? And so I do a lot of my time in the coach salting space where we'll kind of start out by doing some consulting where I'm able to do some of that work for folks um, and then coach them through the implementation. And so think about a client I had, uh, Jen, who was running a charter school in Detroit it was post COVID. Hey, my staff is, we we used to be very goal oriented. We got away from that during COVID because everything was canceled. We didn't have metrics. I want to get them back to be more goal oriented, but I'm kind of afraid to, because people are quitting all over the place. What do I do? So I went in as a coach sultant and for about three or four months, we synthesized the data, talked to people, did a survey, did the, did the work she could not do. She didn't have the time. We made a plan And then I worked with her to coach her through implementing it. Here are the talking points for the PD. Here's the survey you can give out afterwards. Let's debrief what happened in this meeting. Let's incorporate. Okay, you're about to lead your first step back. That can be a really beneficial way. But ultimately, there's lots of ways to to go about that. And I think part of it is, well, what's worked for you in the past? And then will that work for you in the future? You've mentioned that people challenges come to the fore. Do you find that using behavioral type assessments are useful for a in the toolbox of a of a nonprofit leader? And there, of course, there are many types of personality assessments or behavioral assessments, from Factor Five to uh, Myers Briggs, DISC. Are those typically? Do you find them helpful or? I am a huge fan of any assessment like that, even sometimes the really goofy ones online, like the bird test, right? It's like almost more of a fun team builder, you know, whip around the color, whatever it is. And I am a certified Gallup strengths coach. So I wouldn't have spent 40 hours of my time going through that if I didn't think these were useful. But the reason I love those assessments are that it one gives every individual in an organization a chance to reflect on who they are, which is never time that's wasted. 
And then two, you're able to bring it to the group and you have this common language to discuss. And I can understand that I'm an eagle and you're a peacock. And what does this mean about our leadership styles and how we show up? You know, then moving forward, you're able to have that shared language and that shared understanding. And some are more, you know, Myers-Briggs is really extensive, right? DISC, Enneagram, strengths. But, you know, I remember I had worked at a school ages ago in North Carolina, and I had two colleagues who were always just at each other's throats for a year. We are all on the same grade level team. It was very awkward. And then we did uh, the compass points assessment. Are you in North, South, East, or West? It was a working styles assessment. And basically what the working style showed is that they had totally different working styles. One was very detail-oriented and one was very big picture. And so therefore, when it was time to talk about a field trip, of course they were really getting into it because they just saw the world from such different places. After that PD and that development session, people were great. They were, they got along great. They were able to be collegial. Hey, I need someone detailed to look at this. Michelle, can you look at this? Oh, sure. Keith, am I seeing the big picture here? And so I think that they really can unlock a lot. And that's a really simple way to do it. And usually they're pretty fun too. So I I, I would imagine it helps to have uh, someone from the outside helping to implement or go through the process. I mean, it can be self-directed, understood internally, but I would Mm -hmm. imagine you would say that having a, a facilitator could really open more uh, in terms of the discussion and understanding. Absolutely. And and Jay, look, like all the time when I was leading, I would be like, you know what? I can do this. I can lead this meeting. I can lead this step back. I can lead this board retreat. And what it took me a long time to understand was that just because I can doesn't mean I should. And the problem anytime you have the CEO or ED leading the meeting is that it's very difficult to switch between your facilitation hat and your participant hat. When you invest in bringing someone to facilitate it, you are then able to simply participate, which is, I mean, my leaders say all the time, this is like the greatest thing about this. And when I'm in a meeting participating, I'm not just thinking about how to share my own thoughts. I'm observing other people. I'm forming thoughts. And if I were busy advancing us through the agenda, I wouldn't be able to do that. And by the way, you also bring an expertise in, whether it's as a strengths coach or a leadership expert or whatever. And so you're also another voice at the table that we're all able to learn from. And so how great is this? And so I do think that whenever possible, sometimes I think we... I should be able to do this. I should figure it out. I know this. I have this skill set. But, you know, when you're in the CEO seat, you have a lot of things pulling at you. And so I think you have to be able to say, what am I uniquely qualified to do? And the answer is, is a very short list. There's a lot of things that you can get some outside capacity and outside help for. So I always encourage leaders to think about that. Post-COVID, it seems like one particular challenge that has really risen to the top is related to staff recruitment, retention, and motivation. How to best address those issues in, in your estimation? I mean, I think everyone's going through this. And, and mostly I'm working in places that never felt like they were like winning the talent lottery. <laughs> now it really looks bad. Um, and I think that the first place I always recommend people start is try and take a step back and really distill where your issue is. Is it that you're not getting the applications in? Is it that you're hiring people who aren't good fits in the job? And depending on where the issue is, it that people are coming on board and quickly exiting or they're not good culture fits? And once you kind of look at your process from the, you know, when somebody first finds out about a job until maybe the end of their first year and identify where those pain points are, then you can start to think about what the right solution is. I don't think there are easy answers, um, but I have seen some organization to take some good leaps and bounds and saying, you know what, we actually are, the role that is advertised is not actually the role we need people to do. We need to go back and really look at this and what this entails. I think that there are a lot of assumptions that COVID chipped away at about where we need to be to do work. Do we need to take a look at this again? You know, do we need to think about 
our compensation, not just financially and, and with benefits, but also in terms of flexibility, also in terms of well-being and wellness. And so I do think that it is a it just is a tougher landscape with all the talent pieces. But I do think that where people are struggling actually sometimes varies depending on their industry or where they're located. How would you assess the health of nonprofit organizations in terms of how they develop their people within the organization for advancement in their careers or personal? I mean, I was just got off the phone with a client where we're talking about this employee experience. You know, I want to give a little love to one of my favorite tools. I just think can you can just squeeze so much juice from it, which is an employee engagement survey. And there's a bunch of versions. There's Gallup's 12 questions. You could do like a very simple net promoter score. I work, uh, I think CultureAmp is a really great resource. That's a platform. I work with a number of organizations that use a CultureAmp survey. And I think there is just such a benefit. So to describe the culture at one is a good example. It's given twice a year. It can be like 50 to 100 questions, which sounds like a lot, but actually doesn't take people more than maybe 20, 25 minutes. And it measures people's perceptions. It will have statements like, I have the opportunity to grow and develop in my current role. And people kind of say one through 10 where they're feeling and culture amp takes it and it you know, can divide it by department if you have enough people and it can crunch it and it can talk about where the gaps are. When we're thinking about almost anything involving the people in our building, we're operating in two realms. We're operating in reality and we're operating in their perceptions. The fact of the matter is, is that people's perception is their reality. And so if you have a really generous PTO policy and people can take time off and they can do this and on paper, it looks good, but people's lived experience, they don't feel this way. It does not matter what's on paper. I mean, it matters what's on paper, but you have a gap where you need to figure out how how do I get people to feel what's on paper? And the only way you can really measure perception is by asking them what they think about different areas. And so an employee engagement survey will yield so much data and will be so rich. And I think it really helps leaders understand where are perception and reality pretty aligned and where are they potentially out of whack or where are people, you know, that something is outdated or outgrown or needs to be looked at again. And so I think that that is a tool that can be very helpful. And often one of the subsections of that is about my growth and development, how I feel, does someone take an interest in me? Do I have professional opportunities? Do I think I can advance in my career? And so there's lots in there that you can kind of take out and really get a sense of what are people thinking. I didn't catch, and perhaps some of our listeners didn't catch the name of that specific tool. It's the Culture Amp platform. I work with a lot of nonprofits that use it through a foundation. So a foundation pays for it and then they can administer it, but they will work with different organizations and I think has some sample surveys and things online as well. So it's Culture Amp. A-M-P. Yeah, like amp it up, AMP. Uh-huh. Okay. So culture amp, a, a good tool to do an assessment uh, internally of your organization's health among your employees. Well, let's take a look at another people group, board engagement ah. and management. I'm, that's got to rise to the fore for most <laughs> nonprofit leaders. What's been your best counsel, or maybe you could give us a case study? It's interesting. I'm actually deep in the weeds of a project with a board now that I've been working with since June. Um, and basically, they are the largest homeless shelter provider for women and children in one of the five largest cities in the US. They came to me because they, they kind of stopped meeting regularly during COVID. They tried to start meeting regularly again. There was a large grant that was very unclear what happened to it. And it was just very clear that like they kind of lost the wheel. <laughs> and, you know, the CEO, as many CEOs I think are constantly and particularly post COVID pretty burned out, feeling really, you know, struggling, um, felt like I'm giving everything I have to this organization. And so 
when I got there, they weren't meeting regularly. They would say, well, the meeting's on the calendar, but nobody knows about it. They had a hard time getting quorum. They would ask for financial information they would get a few weeks later, which of course is not as useful as having it for the meeting. And financial information is always a little tricky to lead with because it's lagging to some extent. In the process of helping them reset their board now, um, and it was really interesting because I think they brought me in thinking I would do more work at the organization level, but there's a saying that the fish stinks from the head, right? And, and the, the tone comes from the top. You know, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to meet regularly. And if people aren't showing up, you need to exit them off the board. And, you know, if they're not giving, you need to say, hey, we have a give get. You need to have some of these conversations. And so we're in the process now of getting committee set up getting a regular meeting set up. I sent them sample language this morning about how can you, you know, people that you're kind of exiting off the board and trying to nicely say, thank you for your service, but we think that we need to focus more on this. Um, And to some extent, you know, and they have a few other factors that make it particularly challenging um, with some interpersonal dynamics. But I think that that's boards often really benefit, you know, and, and EDs will come to me to work with their boards also because they're just unwieldy. It's just tricky. It's a group of people. It's all those human dynamics. It's a volunteer basis. They don't, you know, it's not a full time job. There's just so many pieces of it where I think having somebody from the outside who can say, okay, let's get on the same page about what we expect, who can be a neutral party. I mean, I will sit in meetings and say, you know, hey, your your financial risk tolerance is low and yours is high. And that's where this is coming from. And so what we need to do is really decide, like, how comfortable are you as a board with financial risk? We've got to have X amount of money in the bank to do X, you know, this or that. And I think that that kind of almost mediating can be really helpful. And so we'll see. I I have a good feeling about how this story ends. It's not quite over yet. um, But I think that a lot of times you just, they've been so steeped in this for so long that it was hard for them to see the way out. And a lot of times what I do or what other consultants do isn't like rocket science. Let's get you a regular meeting schedule. Let's figure this out. But you kind of need someone else to help you get there because of all the interpersonal dynamics that may have locked it up a little bit. People know Convergent for its expertise in fundraising consulting. We're open to new ideas and information. What are some insights you have about the challenges and opportunities for organization in their fundraising effort? That's a great question. And it's funny because because I work with so many CEOs and ED or someone whose fundraising is a part of their responsibilities, whether it's them directly or somebody else, it comes up a lot. And it's helpful to have that in my own background. You know, it's so interesting. I was talking with a client earlier today, and I've noticed this a lot with new CEOs. And this is probably not news to you. You've been in this for so long. We had this really like light bulb moment because her board is like, we need to fundraise. We need to fundraise. And she's like, I agree. I get it. And she's like, you know, and they're onboarding a new employee. And I was like, well, maybe for the first 30 days, maybe like a fundraising plan, this person's taking on responsibilities. Would you want them a fundraising plan? And she's like, honestly, when you say fundraising plan, can you like describe what you mean to me? So I like pulled up a few templates, pulled up a few documents, you know, really simple, straightforward. Here's the goal. Here's how you construct it. Here's how you think about it. And it was like all the light bulbs went off and she's like, oh my gosh, like this is so simple. It's so useful. It's such a tool, but it, it strikes me often, particularly with people who that is like a new part of their portfolio. It can feel intimidating. It can feel like a foreign language. How do I go into this? And so I think that there's something really great about some of the tactical and practical tools that just kind of show you like, oh, this is how you build that. And we can all have it on a share drive and people can see it in real time. And I was like, yeah, it's great. It doesn't have to wait for the check to clear from the accountant or just so-and-so mentioned that they said they would give this. I mean, they're they're really, um, it's like, you know, it takes a whole system to implement it. I mean, it's not as simple as this document, but I do think that those, I have been struck recently in a number of conversations, how the really tactical tools, like just help leaders can kind of take it and run with it in a way that feels, I think, really good for them. 
I think we have received a good overview of the challenges facing nonprofit leaders today. And someone may be inspired about something that you said. How do we get in touch with you? Absolutely. So you can go to my website, bethnapleton.com. And at the top there, you also could go to leadership-quiz.com, where I've got a two-minute quiz on what you need most as a leader. And so people have enjoyed taking that to get their quick, I love a good quiz, a good personality test, this kind of plays to that. Um, And that will redirect you to the top of my website, which will also has blogs, video resources. You can book a call to talk with me about what challenges you're facing. But you know, I think that I would love to work myself out of business one day, but the reality is, is that, you know, leading always is going to have challenges. That just kind of comes with the nature of the territory. And so I think that for leaders to know, like, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to reach out. I always tell people your problems are special, but they are not unique. You are not the first dysfunctional leadership team I've seen. You will not be the last, right? Or you aren't the first board that's a mess. It happens all over. And so when you bring in someone who's dealt with it hundreds and hundreds of times, it's just going to help make the process a lot easier. So, you know, I wouldn't go to a doctor who had never seen a broken leg before. If I broke my leg, I want to get the guy who's like, oh, no big deal. It's the same thing bringing someone in as well who's seen it before. Is One more time, Beth Napleton with the website. Yes, BethNapleton.com. So B-E-T-H-N-A-P-L-E-T-O-N. A joy to talk to you, really uh, a stimulating conversation. Thank you so much. You can access tools of the trade at our website, convergentnonprofit.com. That's convergentnonprofit.com. Check the homepage near the upper right-hand corner and you'll see a link to resources. This is Jay Worth and thanks for listening.